0: Well, good morning again, and good morning to those in the Life Center, as well as those who are watching online. We're grateful that you've come to worship the Lord with us today, however you may be doing that. Uh, Today we're starting a brand new series called Real Christmas. You know, I don't know if you've thought about this, but so much of Christmas isn't real. So much of Christmas is fake. Uh, One great example of that are are the Hallmark Christmas uh, movies, I don't know if you've ever watched any of these, but if you, if you haven't, I can summarize them for you. Basically, here's what happens. Uh, the big city lawyer, female big city lawyer, goes home at Christmas time to some country little town. Her car breaks down. The big hunk country pickup truck driver meets her. They kind of fall in love, but she's torn because she's got a big city lawyer boyfriend back in New York City. And it's a love story, and it's all, and that's basically all, that, all it's about right there. You don't have to watch any more. But so much of Christmas isn't real. And then uh, you can continue the list. Artificial Christmas trees. How many of you have an artificial Christmas tree? Absolutely. Most of you do. We bought a new one this year because the old artificial tree had worn out. And then you just keep thinking about all the stories that that we read about and watch around the Christmas season. The Little Drummer Boy. uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Twelve Days of Christmas. Frosty the Snowman. I mean, I like some of those. It's it's not that they're bad or wrong. We just are reminded constantly that so much of Christmas isn't real. And there's a couple of other things I could talk about, but I'm not going to mention those other two or three obvious things that aren't real related to Christmas. Here's an example of what we might call plastic Christmas. If you're looking on the screen, for those of you here or over in the Life Center, Plastic Christmas, these are called blow molds. Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. You see these on people's lawns or on the front porch sometimes. For years, people have said, Jesus is the reason for the season. And that's true. But for far too many people, this is the only Jesus they know. This is the Jesus they associate with Christmas. Nicole Norderman has a song called Real. I just found it this year. It's a song about the main characters of the Christmas story like Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. And they're all plastic people like the picture that you're watching or looking at right now. And too often, that's really the Christmas story for a lot of people. Just the the plastic people of Christmas. But the chorus of the song says, I am real. Don't turn me into a memory or myth. Let me be real. And so in this message today, I want to talk about the real people who are part of the real Christmas story. And I want to start where the Bible starts. I want to start in Matthew chapter 1. And it might surprise you how the Bible or how the New Testament begins telling the story of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. You go from Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and then you turn with anticipation to the next page, to the book of Matthew, chapter 1, as the story of Jesus is going to be unfolded for us. And it begins with the genealogy of Jesus. Everybody look at your pastor for a moment. Let me tell you something. If I was in charge, I would not start the greatest story this world has ever seen with the genealogy of Jesus. I mean, when was the last time you read that that entire list and felt, boy, I'm blessed. I am so blessed. The, The genealogy, that's not where I would start. But here's the first point I want you to understand today. Jesus' birth is rooted in history. There's a reason Matthew starts with the genealogy. There's a reason the New Testament opens with this long list of names. You see, a lot of stories start out like this. Once upon a time. Or, in a galaxy far, far away. That's not the way Matthew started his story of Jesus. He starts out with the genealogy. And it was Matthew's way of saying, what I'm going to tell you actually happened in time and space. What I'm about to tell you is a real story about real people. See, Matthew was writing primarily to a Jewish audience. And Matthew wanted to outline for the Jews... Jesus' family tree, because Jesus was a Jew. And for every Jew, it mattered what your family tree was. For every Jew, it mattered what your lineage was. So the gospel writer Matthew wanted his Hebrew audience to clearly understand that Jesus was a descendant of Abraham, the father of all Jews, and a direct descendant of King David. And so here's how he begins his story of Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he gives this long list of names. You know why he takes the time to write this long list of names? It's because Jesus didn't just come out of nowhere. His birth was rooted in history. He had a family. He had a family tree. He was a real person. Matthew, in the very first verse, is trying to say, let me tell you something, just as surely as you believe in Abraham and as surely as you believe in David, just as surely as Abraham was a real person and David was a real person, Jesus Christ was just as real as them. So the New Testament opens by showing us the lineage, the family tree, of this real person named Jesus. In our day and time, we've got some folks who, you know, study lineage and family trees. And some of you probably have done that. Uh, I have mentioned before about our student pastor, Jeff Randolph. He has quite an interesting family tree because his lineage can be traced back to Thomas Jefferson. One of America's founding fathers, of course, was Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson was the principal author of the Declaration of Independence, and of course, he was the third president of the United States. So let me just kind of show you his family tree real quick, just to make a point. First of all, Thomas Jefferson had a daughter named Martha Jefferson. She married Thomas Mann Randolph, and they had a little boy, and they named him Thomas Jefferson Randolph. Well, Thomas Jefferson Randolph later got married and he had a son and they called him Thomas Jefferson Randolph Jr. or Thomas Jefferson Randolph II. And then he had a son and he was Thomas Jefferson Randolph III and then his nephew had a son and he was Thomas Jefferson Randolph IV and his nephew had a son he was Thomas Jefferson Randolph V. and then his nephew had a son which happens to be Jeff's father or grandfather, Thomas Jefferson Randolph VI. And then His grandfather had a son. His name was Thomas Jefferson Randolph VII. They call him Tom. And then Tom had a son, and his name is Thomas Jefferson Randolph VIII. But we just call him Jeff. We got royalty on our staff. just want you to know that. Now, the reason I'm telling you all of this is because I want you to understand something. Lineages, a person's lineage is important. We all believe in Thomas Jefferson, at least I hope you do. I hope you understand and believe that Thomas Jefferson is not a legend and he's not a myth. He was a real person and one of the ways, one of the ways that we can prove he was a real person is that we can trace the lineage of his family. And that's what Matthew was doing as he opened his gospel. In chapter 1, Matthew begins his gospel by emphasizing that Jesus is a real man and he had a family tree. He's a real person who had real parents and grandparents and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins. He was a real person who had a real lineage. He had a family tree. And so in the first 17 verses of Matthew's gospel, there are 46 people named that span 2,000 years. Now, there were more people than that in his lineage, but this was a selective genealogy. Forty-six people are mentioned that span a period of 2,000 years. And all of them were ancestors of Jesus. And some of them, quite frankly, were people that we would be a little surprised to be in his family tree. We may get into that a little bit later, but some of them were, were people that we wouldn't expect to be there. Now, some were heroes of the faith that were in his lineage. Some had shady reputations in his lineage. Many were just regular, ordinary people. And then there were a couple in his lineage that are mentioned in Matthew uh, chapter 1 that were, quite frankly, evil people. And yet, there they are in the family tree of Jesus. You know what what Matthew is saying to all of us, and especially to his Jewish audience? Here's the story of Jesus, and the story of his family is found in the Old Testament. Their names are there. Their stories are there in the Old Testament. And you can trace the lineage of Jesus all the way through until Matthew opens his gospel in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 to say this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ because he lived in time, he lived in space, he was a real person who had a real family. It's Not a myth. it's Not a legend. The birth of Jesus is rooted in history. Here's the second thing I want you to understand. Jesus' birth is linked to promises. Now, Go back to chapter 1, verse 1. Let me show you something that's interesting. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of who, church? The son of David and the son of Abraham. And then there's this long list of names. But this is more than just a long list of names. If you look a little closer, you'll see that these names are actually arranged in three groups. It's summarized for us down in verse 17. Look what he says in verse 17. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the exile to Babylon. And 14 from the exile to the Christ. So Matthew not only gives us this long list of names, but he's arranging this list of names into three different groups. And the beginning name in each of these groups is someone who is prominent. For example... Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac. And so, then we have this lineage all the way down to David. Verse 6, David was the father of Solomon. That's the second group. And then it goes down to verse 12, which is the third group. It talks about after the exile. And here's a list of names. Now, why is it that Matthew, as he arranged these, he arranged these in three groups. And he, he headlined, if you will, this is the lineage of Abraham, this is the lineage of David, and this is the lineage of the people from the exile. Why does Matthew divide the genealogy into three groups? Because, listen to me, the birth of Jesus is rooted in God's promises. And for each of those individuals in and that, that time of exile, God made a specific promise. A specific promise to Abraham. A specific promise to David, and a specific promise to the exiles. We don't have time to dig very deep on that, but let me summarize it for you. First of all, if you'll look in verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, etc. So in this first section, if you will, Abraham is headlining this first section because God made a promise to Abraham. It's found in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, 18, and the promise is this. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. God promised Abraham that he would have a son, and that through that son, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Now, in one sense, that son was Isaac. Absolutely. Isaac was a miracle child. But Paul later tells us in the book of of Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 that the actual fulfillment of the promise to Abraham is Jesus Christ. That just like the miraculous birth of Isaac in the Old Testament was a miracle of course, that that was a picture of the miraculous birth of Jesus to come in the New Testament. You see, this first group in the genealogy, God made a promise to Abraham about a son to come. Then there's this second group in the genealogy. Look at verse six. It says, "And Jesse, the father of King David, and King David was the father of Solomon." God made a promise to David, and it, God's promise to David is found in the second, <clears throat> second Samuel chapter seven. It says, "When your days are over." And you rest with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Who will come from your own body. And I will establish his kingdom. And your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. And your throne will be established forever. God said to Abraham, there's one coming from your body who will sit on your throne. And he will sit there forever. He will forever occupy occupy the throne. Now Solomon was his son, and was the initial fulfillment, but Solomon didn't sit on the throne forever. In fact, Solomon really walked away from God in a sense. And so when we come to the New Testament, the New Testament is making the case there is one who is to come who is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to David. And the fulfillment of that promise is Jesus. God made a promise to Abraham about a son. God made a promise to David about a son. And then the third group in the genealogy is the exiles. Verse 12, after the exile to Babylon, and then all these people are listed. And why are the exiles listed here in this genealogy? Because God made a promise to them too. See, this was the lowest time in the history of the people of Israel. They lost their land, they lost their home, they lost their temple. They lost everything dear to them as they were taken as captives and slaves to Babylon. And in this low time, this dark time, in their nation's history, Isaiah the prophet comes on the scene. And Isaiah the prophet prophesies, promises, a son. Isaiah prophesies to the people that there was one who was coming. For unto you, Isaiah 9, for unto you a child is born. To you a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And Isaiah was prophesying, listen, there is a son that is coming. There is a promise of a son that is coming. And this is a dark day, but God's going to send one who will occupy the throne. God's going to send one who will change everything. And the, the government and peace of the world will be on his shoulders. Here's what I'm trying to help you understand today. This opening of the New Testament is more than just a list of names. It is a vital part of the gospel record. It shows that Jesus Christ is part of history. And God used the Jewish history to prepare the way for the birth of His Son. And that the birth of Jesus is tied to the promises found in the Bible. Then number three, Jesus' birth is the fulfillment of prophecy. See, Matthew takes this a step further as he's trying to paint a picture of who Jesus is. As he begins this gospel record, Matthew takes it a step further as he begins to talk about the prophecies of the Old Testament regarding Jesus. Look with me in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son and you'll give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now look at verse 22 and verse 23. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And here's what the prophet said. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want you to notice the word fulfill in verse 22. Throughout this gospel, with the story of Jesus, Matthew uses that word fulfill 12 times. Matthew says again and again and again and again that the Old Testament is being fulfilled in the life of Jesus. In other words, the things that happened in the days of Jesus were things that were prophesied in the days of the Old Testament. And one example of that is found there in verse 23 that this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. You see, you and I need to understand that for centuries, the voices of the Old Testament called God's people to look forward to the Messiah that was to come. And the Old Testament prophecies were mainly spoken five to seven hundred years before they ever occurred. And so here's the incredible thing. As Matthew opens his gospel, as he gives us this first chapter in the gospel, he's saying, listen, the promises of God and the prophecies of God have been and are being fulfilled through Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In fact, you might want to write this down. There are 47 Old Testament quotations related to Jesus just in the gospel of Matthew. 47 Old Testament quotations just in the gospel of Matthew. Of Matthew. Now why does that matter? Because Jesus. Is a historical figure. Jesus. Is the fulfillment of God's promises. And the fulfillment of God's prophecies. He is the central figure. Of the human race. His life. Even marks. Our concept of time. We would call this year 2020, of course. This, that's the, the year. But if we were to be more proper, we would say it is AD 2020. You know this, but let me remind you that the, that the, the phrase or the, the abbreviation AD is really a, a Latin phrase. And it simply means in the year of our Lord. Anno Domini, it means in the year of our Lord. And of course, BC means before Christ. In other words, anything that was referenced before Christ was born is B.C. So, even in our calendars, the birth of Jesus is an historical fact. And every time we even mention the year in which we are living, we are saying something about the birth of Jesus. Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Those listening online, those watching in the Life Center, I want you to hear this. You can believe all of that and still be an atheist. You can believe everything about the birth of Jesus and still be an atheist. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who truly has studied history. You'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who, who doesn't believe in the birth of Jesus someone who truly has studied history would say to you, the birth of Jesus is an historical fact to the point that we reference time by his birth. The question is not, has Jesus been born? The question is, who was he? Matthew is making the case he's the son of God. He's the one God promised in the Old Testament. He's the one God prophesied in the Old Testament. His life and birth is rooted in the history of the Old Testament. See, true life life change doesn't occur by believing that Jesus existed. An atheist can believe that. True life change occurs when you believe that He was and is the Son of God. The Savior of the world. That's when life change occurs. There, there's a, a slogan that I've seen this year. I've seen it on shirts. My wife has one of the shirts. Uh, maybe you've seen it. I really like it. and I don't know if this is new or not. But it says true story. It's got the, the nativity and underneath it it says true story. I like that. True story. Because that's what Christmas is. It's a true story. It's not fiction. It's not a myth. It's not once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away. It's a true story. And here's how John describes our response to that true story. John says in chapter 1, verse 12. John says, Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed on His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Yet to all who received him. It's not enough just to believe that it happened. It's not enough just to believe it's a true story. You have to receive him. You have to claim him. That that he was born. And that he did die on the cross for your sins. And that God raised him from the dead. And when you put your faith in that. That's when life change occurs. And John or Matthew would say. Listen the genealogy. genealogy is just to show you his life is rooted in history. It's a true story. But now let me tell you how he can change your story. And that's really the purpose of Christmas. He came to change your story. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Real Christmas is a real story about a real Savior we all have a real problem and it's called sin. Because Jesus Christ came to this earth He lived a perfect sinless life then He died on the cross as a sacrifice in your place and in mine. You and I could never change our story. That's why He was born. So that your story could be different. And if you have that desire to say, yes, I, I want to trust Christ as my Savior. I, I want a different story than the one I'm living. By faith. The Bible says by faith you're saved. Grace is God offering you what you don't deserve. Faith is you receiving what God has offered. You can do that today. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to give you a chance to, to pray to receive Christ to believe in Jesus Christ and receive the free gift of salvation. Just pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are real, that you lived a perfect life, and that you died on the cross in my place. Today, by faith, I trust in what you've done for me, and I receive the gift of salvation by faith. Today I surrender my life to you. Today I turn away from my sin. And I'm putting all of my trust in you. Come into my heart and be my savior. In Jesus name I pray with every head bowed. Every eye closed. Those here in the sanctuary, those watching online, those in the life center. Here's what I'd like to ask you to do. I, I I'd like to ask you to respond and let me know that you've trusted Christ. Easiest way to do that is if you're here in this building, come outside and tell me on on the way out. If you're in the Life Center, if you're watching online, you can get online and you can contact us. Just get online. There's a connection card. Just fill that out and let us know that you've prayed to receive Christ today. Go to MountAriabaptist.com. Click that little button, connection card. Let us know that you've prayed to receive Christ. And we want to give you some material that will help you begin your walk, your relationship with the Lord. Please take the time. Take the time today to let me know that you've prayed to receive Christ. And we will rejoice with you in that. Father, thank you for your goodness, for your mercy. Thank you for the real story of Jesus and for the real life change that can occur in our lives because of that. That's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.